Exit for Podcast Mutants, Magic, and Marvels is brought to you by the Cage Club Network. So for all things media, check out cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. And for all things X's for Podcast, check out X's for Podcast on Twitter and YouTube. Welcome back to an extra special holiday X's for podcast, which is usually your premier comic podcast for modern Marvel's Chronos Gaming Classics and more. But today we are some new creature altogether. I'm Nico and you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Nico Action. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. And I'm TK. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at XNateXGrayX. Hello, I'm Jonah. You can follow me over on Twitter and Instagram at Peak Jonah. That's P-E-A-K. Howdy, y'all. It's Nathan. You can find me online at <laughs> Dazzler AOA on Twitter and, like, you know, everywhere. <laughs> sure. I'm Jake. You can find me on Twitter at Omega Sentinel. That's O-H Mega Sentinel. And I guess on Instagram at The Heart Farmer. And I'm Tori. You can find me on Twitter at Tori underscore Sheehan and on Instagram at SMTori. That's Tori with an I. And man, I am so excited. This is something that I've wanted to do for so long. And so, of course, I'm not actually participating in it now because I am organizing everything. But forever, like one of the first questions I ask big comic book fans is like, what is your dream X team? What is your ideal team if you could put together a team? And I wanted to finally put it to the test with this amazing crew. And so we organized some rules, some boundaries, a long list of mutants. And I basically put everybody together with a team and said, you know, kind of go to town and make your ideal mutant team. And I'm really excited that everybody is going to share their teams with us today. I want to get started in just a sec, but I guess the a couple other things I should point out. Everybody had 15 points to choose from to make their team. Mutants were ranked from five points to one point. All of the Omegas were the five points. And then from there, it went descending and right around three and two were where we had most of the mutants it was not done just by power it was done through a secret formula much like colonel sanders 11 herbs and spices that nobody can ever know it is a proprietary secret and it was completely unbreakable nobody got any fudging of the numbers i definitely did not let anybody have somebody for a little bit less because it made their story better didn't happen ever um I did not. Wow. <laughs> they also got five points to choose villains. And let me tell you right now, in classic X-Men fashion, there was no delineation in the list between who was a villain and who could be an X-Man. Because as we all know, that is what works with these people. So at this point, I think I just want to take it away. What's going to happen is everybody's going to have, you know, 10-ish minutes, whatever you really need um, to present your team, tell us who's on the team, how they came to be, and what their first story arc would be if you were going to write them into a comic. When everybody has done their presentation, they will take some time to vote, and then I will tally up the scores and declare some winners. I am so happy we're doing this. I'm having (laughs) such a good time already. This has always been a dream of mine on this show as well. I love the, the you know, draft your team and like that, that the whole rule is just have a good fucking time and then it's celebrate the holiday season just by being together and staying warm in this beautiful Mariah Carey Christmas village. And it's so special. And like, 
I, you know, it's such a beautiful thing because like, you know, there's some of us that are on the show every week. There's some of us that are on the show pretty often considering she doesn't read X-Men regularly. She's <laughs> so on the show at all as a gift. And, I love a challenge. Oh, you're so fucking good at it. And I'm, I'm just having a great time already. This is a holiday dream come true. And uh, I, I do want to say that this list, right? When, when I kept being like, oh, TK, what about this person? And he was like, they're on the list. And I'm like, no. And he's like, ah, fuck. Okay. <laughs> the game has some like learning curve that literally reminds me of the X-Men coming together. Like, I don't know. There's something kind of fun about how this all came together. We've been working on it and I'm just so grateful to be part of it. And thanks for, uh, thanks for hosting it so that I never had to worry about not being part of it because I was going to cry if you were like, <laughs> I would have been like, sure, happy to. <laughs> <laughs> Merry Christmas, you filthy animals. <laughs> this is my Christmas gift to all of you. I will save my thoughts on the Ultimate X team for another year. Thanks, Chug. Wow. <laughs> That's a so without further ado, I think, uh, are you up first? I believe I am. Yeah. I'm going by this order. Okay. When TK messaged me saying, this is the team that you're going to have, uh, the title you're going to have, I was like, okay, cool. That's f- pretty fitting. So I was gifted the title of New Mutants, Generation X, Young X-Men, more of the younger book, the book that tends to focus on the young mutants and their role in terms of mutantdom, where they are, and so forth. And uh, looking at this screen, I'm going to tell you, I had a lot of fun getting to choose who my students were. And who <laughs> my first pick is Chamber, and he's a character that I think kind of deserves a lot more right now. I think he's such a fascinating character. I think there's so many different things that make him really unique, whether it comes to his physiology and design, whether it comes to his lettering, which is really cool, that he gets kind of special lettering that I think makes for really fun moments in comics. He's a character that I think right now needs something to do and I don't think there's anything better than him being kind of the leader of this being the mentor being the person to teach these young mutants what does it mean to be an X-Men what does it mean to be fighting in this world for your rights and mutantdom I also really want this book to kind of focus on what if we had characters and Kirkoans and mutants that want to kind of be almost career X-Men you know if you're thinking on a series that really impacted me as a kid the Hunger Games there are the career tributes characters that are specifically not bred, but they're trained to fight in the Hunger Games. And why do we not have mutants who want to train to become X-Men? You know, I really think that's something that we're kind of missing. Like if I was <clears throat> on Krakoa and I was like, well, I need kind of something to do because when you can literally do anything on Paradise, there's stuff you need to do. I really do think that there would be characters that would want to become X-Men, that want to become part of the mm-hmm. team to prove their worth to their, you know, their nation. So I think Chamber works really well as the mentor, as the leader. It's just something that I think he really deserves. I really think this is a character that can lead a book if given the opportunity so then i was thinking all right i need somebody to play off of him i need somebody who really has either a relationship with him or somebody that he can work with that he can go to when he needs help and i was thinking of like who who can this be and then i was like it, she's literally staring me right in the face of emma frost i was like how can you not have a book about mentorship about teaching without the person who i think is quite possibly the best teacher throughout the x-verse in emma i think consistently we've seen emma one of her many strengths is when she 
gets to be a teacher, when she gets to lead in that sense, I think that's something that's really important to her. And it's something that she really doesn't have right now. And I think it's part of, you know, as her role uh, on the Quiet Council, on the, in the Hellfire Gala, there's so many different things that she's doing right now that I think she kind of needs something to kind of take her mind off all of this big stress. And I, her being a teacher right now, I think is so important to her character of kind of just giving her a little bit of a break. And her in Chamber, I think, could have such amazing chemistry. They're a duo that I didn't really think of very initially of like, I'm going to pair them together. But continuing this draft and continuing what I think these two can accomplish together, I think the, the limits are endless. So then I had to think of, all right, who are my students going to be? Who are these characters that I want to give this chance to, to prove and have this desire to be, you know, hero in an X-Men? So the first character I thought of, Indra. Indra is such a cool character to me. He's got a great design. I love the color purple. So, you know, you have that. But he brings so many interesting things as a character who for a long time was nonviolent. And I really think that he's a character that brings a lot for in terms of representation of what he can do there's a lot of like really cool things like also th thinking about like marketability indra can make some really cool action figures and I, it's almost a shame that we haven't really gotten any he's got so many different ideas of what you can do with this power set of psionic armor uh, that like i'm surprised and shocked we haven't really seen more of him so now i was thinking about all right i think every group kind of needs muscle you need somebody strong you need somebody who could punch things down because sometimes that's just the best solution sometimes you just got to punch your way out of it and a character who i think is really cool because i'm kind of having a moment with sharks is shark girl i think she's so cool looking i think she's got a fantastic design i think there's so many different interesting things you can do with this character that marvel's not currently doing which is, which is fine you know we did get an appearance of her you know very recently comparative to these other mutants that i picked over in uh curse of man thing and i think that's great and i really do think that given the opportunity she can be a great chance to shine and be the powerhouse of a team and i really love that i also love of you know, smelling blood brings her into like that shark frenzy that sharks are tend to be known for i think that having characters with weaknesses like that really can be some interesting conflict for story-based teams especially with you know a group and a team that aren't used to one another and are trying to learn what that means i think there's like a wealth of like you know interesting story there so then i also have it's a personal pick he's my favorite f-lister of dummy dummy is a character who has zero story he was literally meant to be killed and i i think it's just kind of unceremonious that when dummy was killed in the riot of xavier way back in new x-men nobody kind of really said anything about it they all just kind of were like well he's just gone now and i don't know if i can fully jive with that i think this character deserves justice i think he deserves a chance you know i i would be kind of have to be a character where i would you know work with the power set make him maybe a little bit stronger because a lot of these x-men that i did choose aren't the strongest but i think that should be part of it you know i think a lot of lessons that you can learn from a young class is perseverance hard work working towards your goals but sometimes that may not always be enough and i think it's a lesson that not everybody always knows that you can do your best but your best isn't good enough and I think that could be some really interesting character drive and story, especially with a character as weak as Dummy. And th there's, I don't know, I, I just ha I just had to. I give You're letting me pick whoever I want, and I'm going to pick this f and I will break into the limelight. I will never stop talking about <laughs> Dummy. I know another character that I want to bring to the limelight, I want to give her an opportunity to do some cool things, is Grimlock. Grimlock, being a Morlock and a psychic, I really, uh, I think that every team needs a psychic. Yes, we have Emma, but we need, some, we need a psychic that we could teach and train and have those funny moments of prodding into other people's thoughts. You know, there's a lot of things you can really do with Rimlock and a character who is psychic, uh, who has telepathy. She's a character that hasn't really done a lot, but I would love to bring a perspective of a Morlock to the forefront because the Morlocks were arguably, in a way, persecuted more, 
or more or less in different viewings than other X-Men because they're so non-passing. I love non-passing mutants. And I think it's really important for the metaphor. I think it really dials up that metaphor of the marginalized to an 11 when you have a character who can't pass as a human. And I think she could be a really great opportunity. She also could play off as Shark Girl. Shark Girl now having a relationship and friendship with Marrow. There's stuff there. I like having characters that can have interpersonal relationships already baked in. And so to round out everything with my available points left, I decided to go with Rubbermaid. And I didn't even realize it when I picked her, but she and Indra have a previous relationship when they were both on the Alpha Squadron way back when. But I don't think this is a character that got her fair shake. She was kind of there. She pulled a prank by wrapping up Bishop and then she was depowered and killed. And I think she's a character that could be a lot of interesting things. You know, having the power set of rubber, being able to stretch yourself, there's some pretty interesting metaphors you can do with that. I don't know if she has a lot of characterization right now, but what if she's a people pleaser? What if she stretches herself too thin metaphorically? There's a lot that you can do with a character like that, that you can say uh, and use that symbolism to really showcase some powerful characterization. So I really do think that she's a really good rounding out. And, you know, I like a balanced team. I like a smaller team where you can really focus on the characters and their relationship. And her having a prior relationship with Indra was already like the cherry on top of another character of like, let's bring her to the forefront. So then I got to my antagonist. And this so this antagonist wasn't initially on the list. And I was thinking about like, who's it? Who's somebody I can use? And I have to be contrarian. I have to think of my own people. And I was like, ooh, let me choose Darkstar. Darkstar is a mutant that doesn't really appear a lot in X titles. She's often in other books. And I think that every mutant should have at least some basis in an X title. I love seeing mutants not in X titles, but I do like have them having a home base, if you will. And Darkstar, while not typically known as a villain, I think has the makings for a potentially great antagonist. She's a very powerful mutant, and I think often underutilized in that sense, you know, being the wielder of her powers and what it could all mean there's so many different ways you can make her an antagonistic force that i think really like pushes the boundaries and gets us kind of that really that strong super villainess that you're like you don't want to fuck with you don't want to mess with and i think she's really like that character that has that making i would be so excited and interested to see her in this antagonistic role push to her limits push to her boundaries of what it means to go to the dark force side and then i was trying to round out okay another villain maybe a potential work someone who could work with dark star maybe a solo and i was looking at like all right who looks menacing who's a powerhouse that when you look at you think i don't want to mess with them they look threatening they give off that aura and then i stumbled upon hemingway and i was like oh this character works <laughs> he is a massive unit and it's somebody i'll love in the vein of like blob or juggernaut somebody that you can really like rely on to be really powerful have a lot of endurance and be hard to take down and that's something that i kind of value in somebody as a villain of like villains usually for me fall into one of two categories you know you either are threatening or you, you know you, you give off powerful energy there's you know differences in the ways you go about their villains and i think he's another character that actually has some pretty interesting stories that you can kind of bake into it he's another morlock so you know you can have an interesting you know interaction just grimlock how does grimlock feel about that trying to fight another morlock what does that mean for her you know what is hemingway's current motivation he doesn't really have a lot because he's currently dead but maybe he's trying to get revenge on mikhail maybe he's trying to burn the earth to the ground 
around because he just wants to seek revenge for how he was unjustly done. There's a lot of different characterization that you can do with a character like Hemingway, who doesn't have a lot going for him right now, that can really, you know, help him push him into a character that becomes more well-rounded. You know, he was a bodyguard for Marrow. How does Shark Girl feel about that? Again, I chose a lot of characters that have these interbaked relationships that you can play with and that you can toy with and that you can mess around with and really, in terms of creativity and writing, you know, make some fun with. So that's, you know, my draft and my team that I, like, surprisingly really happy with and I would be so excited to see. And how they, you know, form, I think most, if not all, new mutants, Gen X, they almost start with the, you know, collecting of the teammates, you know, your call to action, your call to the, the hero's journey. And something that I would like is maybe Chambers kind of, like, looking for a thing to do, looking for something to give him purpose, because right now, I don't really think he's doing anything. He's kind of just moping around with Mondo being after being kicked out of New Mutants. And I think that he could be somebody who's like, listen, I want to start teaching the new generation, not in the same way that we saw in VDIL's New Mutants, of where we saw characters learning how to do power sets and, co and teamwork, but more so training some mutants in order to make sure they feel like they can achieve their goals of becoming an X-Men. They could be the hero. And I would almost think it's kind of funny if he's going, he's trying to like cherry pick and handpick out these mutants and like figure out a way to get them to join his class to be there. And I would would love for like the first story arc to be two part of with the first issue, the first part of it would kind of be a refusal of the call from these characters where they might not want to because they don't feel like they're strong enough. They don't feel like they're good enough. And I think that could be some interesting refusal of their self-worth is called into question because they don't see themselves as the hero. And I think through this two-part story, having them save the day, Chamber gets captured by Darkstar. We can even keep it a little bit more simplistic. And these mutants are the only ones who are around at that moment to try to save him. And I think that that would be interesting of just giving us a book of these characters who want their chance to prove themselves to their nation. And I don't think that we currently have that in the next title. And that's my team. Yay! I love that. I've missed having a school team and like a kid team, and I would be so happy to see this one. I think it's time to raise a little hell, see a few hellions. Nathan, take it away. All right. So when TK gave me Hellions, I was like, hmm, I had two different ideas. So the wig is the scrapped idea. So I'm like, I got to pay homage to the idea that never was. But my Hellion team that I came up with was very literal take on Hellions. I was like, oh, this team is going to hell. And what an X-Men just like signifies hell more than limbo, right? The plot of the book is that Margali Zados has reclaimed limbo as her own. She has taken over from uh, Madeline Pryor and imprisoned her and magic. Tarot gets a psychic premonition through her tarot card that this is going on and she sends her good friend Cat's Eye to Kurt Wagner to try to start a team that will take back Limbo. So in this team, Kurt has really obvious ties to Limbo. He needs with him a former queen of hell herself, Megan Gloriana. Got Cat's Eye along for the ride. Black Knight, he brings along Jax for her amazing ability that we are just learning 
learning what they are somewhat in Legion of X, as well as the mystical tools that she has access to, such as the Ebony Blade. Then we've got those four have to do one minor mission to get the book started. They have to rescue Day Tripper from her interdimensional exile so that she can help round out the team to help defeat Margali Zardos, her mother, and Kurt's mother too. Yeah, let's not get into that. But the twist of the book is Margali has brainwashed Tarot to her side, and she is fully one of Margali's minions now. In universe, that's how it all goes. You know, out of universe, I wanted Cat's Eye and Tarot to be involved as homage to the original Hellions, as well as Hellion to run had empath in it. And I was like, ah, I gotta find a way to put my big goofy purple cat in if I'm gonna have to see <laughs> I was like, nobody else is gonna put Cat's Eye in, just me. Nope. <laughs> right? So the team, I, I, of course, you know, if I, with Hellions, I'm like, cool, I, I gotta find a new take on this because we've had, you know, Emma's evil students that were just, you know, learning under Emma. We had Zebwell's beautiful take of villains gone trying to find their way to make right in the world. And then I was like, hmm, Hellions, gotta go to hell. Limbo, bam. And that set up the whole team for this. You know, if I had uh, unlimited points or, you know, for future arcs, I would add in characters like Moonstar and Richter because of their ties to magic. But for this first arc in this team, this is the core foundation. I'm such a big Megan person. Shut up. I love it. <laughs> I was like, I was like, we cannot forget her reign and glor- as Gloriana over parts of hell. I mean, like, she inspired hope in the demon. So, like, if anybody can inspire a team of limbo demons behind her, it's gonna be Megan. I think it is so good, the specific Hellions that you chose to refer back to the original Hellions team. You know, I know we all loved Empath, but I'm excited to see Taro in the mix. Jake ribbed me a little bit for the uh, low value score that I gave Taro when I was doing the rankings, but it was specifically yes. because I really wanted to encourage people to get her on a team and to make it cheap and easy. Absolutely. And I want to say, like, I know we're not at, but like our books, Nathan, our books could be friends. <laughs> our, our books could really work together. There could be a cool crossover moment. Jonah, I, I almost, I almost wanted Chamber, but knowing that Chamber got used so well, I'm just so happy. Oh, there, there was, I had to cut down the list very much. I only have so many points, and there, but there are, were some characters like Tarot that you could get for a steal. And I was like, how do I get the most big for my buck? Yeah, I was really trying to get her on the main team, but I was like, as I was putting it together, I was was like oh wait this is a great twist to have <laughs> her have to be <laughs> are you saying you just did domain parking with tarot just like <laughs> slotting her into your villain team so no one else could be like oh i have the tarot story not that anybody using anybody meant anybody else couldn't but you know right. it's like what book is their real book that's <laughs> gonna be the next time we play this we're gonna be doing it with everybody only every character can only be used by one person so you're gonna have to get real tight with your draws Ooh. but in the meantime Ooh, i love the idea of some of these characters in really tight drawers <laughs> <laughs> oh shit that's amazing Tori, I believe it is time for the sword to be drawn once again. Tell us about Excalibur. So, yeah, so I was given the name Excalibur, and I'm going to be honest, unlike the rest of you, I don't go here, so we're going to go with <laughs> Tori decides to tell a story. <laughs> 
Now, uh, I know I'm told that I don't have to relate Excalibur to whatever I'm doing, but I was like, well, let me poke around a little. And I remember that Nightcrawler was on one of the original Excalibur team. Rogue is sort of currently on whatever version of it is. <laughs> so I was like, all right, let's put something together. A little, little family drama. So I decided that, and was allowed, to have Destiny kind of appear to Rogue in a dream to warn of the return <laughs> of our antagonist, Graydon Creed, recently removed from hell by Sabretooth. Spoilers for things that I guess came out recently. I don't know. I don't pay attention. And <laughs> so then Rogue is like, hey, I want to go investigate from Captain Britain. And when she's out, she contacts Nightcrawler for help. They meet in the wilds where Sabretooth was last seen. And they're at odds with if this is worth pursuing. <laughs> He's feral. How bad could this be? What's up with that? And then they hear some crashing. They come across Sabretooth to try to bring him carefully he resists it's a bad fight our heroes not looking good like Carlin <laughs> has to bamp them away for safety which is when Graydon Creed comes out of the woods to greet his father with a group of anti-mutant peacekeeperish like suits people to subdue him and bring him in scary then Graydon Creed comes in with a massive rally in Washington, D.C., showcasing a barely caged Sabretooth and, how the, and, and saying this is how the mutants are treating their own back wherever they've gone off to. Krakoa, I think it's still around? I don't know. He, so, and he's basically calling for an end to, the, to these mutants taking mutant children from their homes and, for, and talking about how he's a group of scientists working on a vaccine to return these children to their normal previous lives. Rogan Nightcrawler watching this on TV in the lighthouse the alarms go off an intruder and ready to defend they find mystique on their doorstep with a gangly young teenager upon introducing trevor chase destiny's mutant grandchild to the two kurt is appalled that mystique would bring a child into this they argue over how to deal with creed and saber nearly coming to blows before trevor reveals his powers freezing everyone saying their goals are aligned in the end together they all agree to form excalibur to deal with this threat and embark on a family reunion from here there's a bunch of stuff about like creed trying to unferalize Sabretooth and like bring him in on all of this and as a way to kind of leverage those feelings that caused his father to drag him out of hell there's going to be a lot of rallies where we see all of these frightened parents with their mutant children just very like wouldn't it be great if we could detransition them back you know Trevor Chase Nightcrawler Rogue and Negus or Mystique if you want to say so uh, they all kind of had shitty childhoods because of because of their mutant powers people dying never being never getting to stay in the same place getting treated poorly and so there's a lot of dredging up of those feelings while also at war with the idea of like saving mutant kind and great on creed is just sort of always in the background just like fucking with shit and maybe he does a live tv appearance which is when our our group of heroes goes in and tries to get saber tooth out from under him and take out great and creed and it goes really poorly and Sabretooth just sort of takes things out and eventually, you know, who's to say how it ends? But I doubt it's going to go well for Great and Creed. I don't think he's long for this world after being gone so long from this world. Thank you. Bravo. <laughs> wow. I feel silly. <laughs> I say, when I saw this one, my jaw dropped. Because I feel like this is a story a lot of us have been waiting for. And the Trevor Chase pull just 
Chef's Kiss, mm -hmm. with a lot of these books. I was wondering, would anybody do like not the standard? Oh, it's a team, but it's actually like you know, it's a family. It's not that they so much got together and were like, we are the X Men. It's that this family has to deal with more of their family stuff. Lo and behold, here we are. I I think that's such a good concept for a book. I try. <laughs> and it's always interesting the things that people know outside of the canon. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm just really curious. How do you know Graydon Creed? I spent a lot of time. I was originally going to do something with Mystique and Destiny and, like, um, some kind of crazy, like, custody battle with the kids and something. But I got a little lost mm. in everything. And so I just started reading down on Mystique and Destiny and all of a sudden found all of these people. I love it. Mm -hmm. yeah, I love it. I gotta say, like, that is a book I would read. Like, my God. <laughs> oh, yeah. I would I would love it. And I feel like it, it, characters like Trevor Chase are always the ones that, like, I'm I'm looking around for whenever something new is happening on mm -hmm. Krakoa. And that's why I was excited to put the list together and kind of give everybody options. Because, and you guys came up with ones that I had forgotten. Just there are so many people that were always just like, oh, but I bet there's a story there. I think this would be one that I would love to, to know more. Yeah. Thanks, everybody. Oh, Thank you. <laughs> well, all right, Mr. Action. You want to tell us about a, a force, a force of X? So I remember thinking to myself, you know, no matter what team I get, I'm going to be happy. Uh, there's no team that's a bad team. I just don't want X-Force. And then I got X-Force. And so I said, self, self, what X-Force team is in your heart? And I said, well, no fucking X-Force team is in my heart. And that's the problem. And so then I said, Nico, where is the X-Force inside you? And I dug deep and I said, who's my inner X-Force character? Oh, Beta. Yeah. Okay. I'm a, I'm sort of a real pale sunspot. And so I said, let's play that up. And I said, what weird shenanigans? could Beto get into? And uh, so Beto finds himself at an underground mutant hyper bowling tournament and there's all of this loud chatter at the juice bar. It's the Games Master and Sienna Blaze and they're talking all about how underground mutant hyper bowling tournaments are so over. The new thing? Extreme Mutant Neocaching. And the XMNC League is the biggest thing in XMNCE. And so <laughs> Neocaching yeah. is like geocaching but it involves going places most people wouldn't survive. It's sort of like an Omega level mutant's dream game. In fact, that's why Beto has to get in on the action. It's a dream game. And uh, there's a healthy amount of black market uh, merching and there's this rumor that if you win the season, you get invited to the chef's table. And the chef's table is like an ultimate power broker's table. Beto has only ever even heard rumors about it and uh, that's only from the most connected people. <clears throat> so if these bumpkins have heard of it, as far as he's concerned, it's worth investigating. And if it's worth investigating, then there's really only one way to do it. He has to do deep undercover and buy all new outfits for and if the X-Men don't love the plan after the fact, then Beto has decided to join the chef's table, take over, and use their connections to change the world because he can do that. But first, he has to take over the XMNC League. So it's pretty straightforward. First, you have to register, and everyone has to be registered on the XMNC League website so that your team has a 24-7 stream covering your shit nonstop. From there, you have to compete in the challenges. To compete in them, though, your team has to rank. You've got to earn those likes. Ranks are determined by votes based on your 
your non-challenge streaming performance. Maybe it's a little bit of a nip slip. Maybe it's signing autographs for kids, heroic acts, celebrity. It all earns votes. Viewers get a vote allotment, but of course they can always buy more votes because the world is fucked up. From there, you need to compete. And if your team clears the vote percentage bar, you get to compete in the challenge. Now there's four kinds of challenges. Uncertain terrain, psionic, space quest, or mystical. And the members of the team can work in any group together to sort of like make it happen as long as they are always streaming and being tracked so there can be no outside assistance. This could be like an obstacle course. This could be rescue a mutant from an island. It could be an all-out war on a mini planet, or it could be going and retrieving a psionic box from the astral. So what does Beto do? He decides to study the greats. And since there is no greats in this, whatever there is will have to do. So there's copycat teams like the X05. And the X05 is a top contender every week on the stream ranks. Best known for uh, always copying the original five X-Men, but every now and then when someone dies and they don't have like a backup ready to go, they, you know, use a Polaris or a Havoc or whatever Roy Thomas is claiming was in the original five. There's a professional mutant team like Restatics, and they're a team of ecstatic survivors. There's up and comers, there's tons of stuff. But the reality is that Beto knows that this is going to be a cash grab like none other. So he decides he's going to film the whole thing for a documentary and he is going to do everything he can to turn this into the biggest mutant celebrity moment of all time to ensure himself a seat at the chef's table. So he's going to make a documentary. The unauthorized X-Force mission, the authorized X-Force documentary available on Krakoa Plus in 2023. So he wants to pop right away. He wants big name success. Uh, even if the X-Men, you know, don't love this idea. So then he needs to pick people that don't always get along with the X-Men. Phantom X is perfect for intrigue and any terrain. Mary Walker, better known as Typhoid Mary, uh, she gets the murder girls wet and that's what we need sometimes. Oh, and she's got all that psychic stuff. Pixie is there for all your manic magic energy needs. And, uh, you know, Beto hates magic, so it can be on Pixie. Ricochet, he's a spider guy. He's here for the crossover appeal. Beto knows the market and he's got a real cute butt. <laughs> and Stacy X has no patience for Beto and will keep him in line the whole time. That and sex cell, get with it. So Phantom X is going to use Ava, his external system, to stream the whole thing. Now, step by step, they get closer to the hidden sanctum of the power broker's tape. Believing they've connected to the inner sanctum of mutant power, they take on deep mission after deep mission. And it actually turns out that all of these missions, and as deep as they've gotten, some of them have never happened. They've been fighting for the wrong side this whole time, stealing things at the behest of the mastermind family, who are secretly behind the XMNC League since day one. There was no Sienna Blazon Games Master conversation. It was masterminds. The idea to bring in Phantom X, Mary Zero, Pixie, and Stacy were all implanted by the masterminds. They wanted those four in their pocket particularly. Phantom X for his connections, Mary to enter them into the crime world, Stacy X for her famous dossier of everybody's dick pics, and Pixie is family after all. Ricochet, okay, here's the thing. They implanted Risk for all of her government connections, but the implanted Xavier side blockers resulted in a damaged memory, and for some reason Sunspot got Ricochet. Not what they thought they'd get, but they'll deal with a spider purse. Now, during the course of the battle, they eventually take down the masterminds and break out of the endless psychic loop illusion uh, just in time to bring down the XMNC, and it's really exciting because one of the things I wanted to do was explore how all of these characters have something to kind of prove to themselves. Beto is excited to finally be the leader of an underground team. It's not that he's never proved himself as an X-Man, but he's kind of never proved himself a cool X-Man. He's been cool, and he's been an X-Man, but he's never been a cool 
X-Man, uh, Phantom X. Phantom X has actually programmed an algorithmic image into his visor so that every time he is on TV, another piece of the algorithm appears in data. Once he uploads the final piece, every trace of the Weapon Plus program will be erased from every server in the world. So for him, this is just an opportunity to do something cool. Uh, Mary is so tired of being stuck to whatever Wilson wants that Mary is excited to finally establish herself as a preeminent crime boss. The fact that she winds up caring for and kind of mentoring Pixie, not exactly the goal, but it happens. Pixie decides that this is the final straw and begins using her soul dagger to try and find a way to create like permanent side block magic against her family for everyone in the world so they can never hurt anyone again. Ricochet, this is his chance to be cool and like make it and not just a second stringer. And if simping for Beto is the way to do it, because he does like Beto, it's not a bad thing, then that's fine. And you know, Stacy has had such a long road. This is her chance to do something right and to do something good for people. And her relationship she forms with Pixie ultimately leads her to starting a youth services council on Krakoa so that she can better help women just like she used to take care of the girls back at the ranch. Now, following the X-Force takedown of the XMNC League, the X-Men put Beto on probation for his deceit and they restrict his financial involvement in the Krakoan government as a punishment, still using his money, of course. But Beto uh, nominates John Gallo, Ricochet, his new best friend, to stand in his place. This would be no problem except Shaw Industries sees blood in the water and chomps in the distance. But later that night, when all of the dust is settled, Reagan Wingard contacts Beto, Phantom X, Mary Zero, and Stacy X, offering them invitations to the real chef's table. And that's my little X-Force story that I would really love to see happen. I think you could do this in six issues. I think this could be a miniseries. You could, you could knock this out in six 32 pages. Wow. This is like the dream X-Force team in terms of just complete chaos, nonsense, and sexiness. Six issues, though. I think you could do it in six issues. Everything leading up to forming the team is the first issue. You do a couple of missions over three or four issues. You take them down in the fifth issue, close everything out in six. Like Tori, one of the things that I love best about this is I think we are all, like, really gunning for some Wingard family. I don't want to say drama, because it's not drama. It's just, like, a rat king that is just pulling itself in all kinds of different directions (laughs) and scaring everybody, but not, like, in any way that they're threatened. They're just sort of horrified that they're seeing this happen i will take it thank you if the mutant if, adultman <laughs> mutant adultman but i guess they would use their mastermind powers to seem like one adult one very sexy adult but the, it's, a, it's a dude but he's got the chris botchelow top on still oh, oh and, yeah and the hair the crap. Like yeah. The, yeah yeah of course And last, but not least, we turn to the Legion. The Legion of X. Jacob, take it away. Hi, everyone. This is my team. It's Legion of X. So the background for the formation of this team is essentially the gates have been hacked, and we've known this for a little while. They're not really a reliable or safe means for mutants to get themselves to Krakoa anymore because Orcus has uh, collaborated with Horticulture to use a telepleuronic hack to maintain observation and probably intervention over the Krakoan gate system. And this is something that they're just beginning to understand is happening, and so it hasn't really been reacted to quite well yet. So Destiny, Destiny knows everything. 
everything already anyway. So she has this on her radar. And in the season of Hanukkah, the first Hanukkah after Magneto's death, she's become very reflective, thinking about Magneto as a leader and reminding herself that, you know, there was a time when Magneto was, you know, when Magneto was in a camp with his family who was suffering and dying. And while that was going on, she was an administrator in a similar camp for mutants who she facilitated the suffering and death of. So Destiny is feeling very reflective and very kind of awful is not the right word because I don't think Destiny feels awful about things, but she is leaning into this space <laughs> in her life where she feels like she needs to do better. That, you know, you can't really balance the scales, but you can continue on a path and do better and do, do more work to strengthen the haven for her people and maybe hopefully not have to be put in a position where she would have to participate in such horrible things and make such decisions again. She's at a point where these very, very heavy means feel so heavy towards all of these mutant ends. She decides to do something about this. She wants to start thinking about a legacy because even though she may technically live forever, we're not sure. This is Krakoa. It's important to build something in your life, even if you're immortal. So to that end, she decides she's going to go grab Glob Herman and crash Legion's first night Hanukkah candlelighting party. Glob was on his way there anyway. He had been invited as well. Iceman was the one who was supposed to invite all the guests because Legion doesn't really know a lot of people who would want to come to a Hanukkah lighting party. But Iceman doesn't really either. So he just invited his cousin who he kind of just reconnect with, Jesse. Destiny always goes with Kismet. So this is the team that she she sees and the team that she wants, the team that she knows is going to do best. They're trying to have their first their first candlelighting ceremony and a Krakoan gate nearby suddenly opens up and all these weird light monsters start coming through. This being an island full of mutants, they just kind of repel the invasion and this squad of five goes back through the portal and finds Curse for some reason using her reality warping wish power to change a joint Fenris light into these little monster things. Now, you might say to yourself, Curse, what are you doing here with these actual Nazis? Curse is a very young, sad, misguided child who loves to stir shit and loves to put up a really strong front of how tough they are. But when push comes to shove, she doesn't really want genocide. She doesn't really want the inevitable vivisection that these people come across. So this is kind of the backdrop upon which this is happening. We need an alternative to the gates because shit's going down inside them. Fenris is working with Orcus for some reason, and they are vivisecting mutants, grabbing mutants who are trying to get to Krakoa and capturing them and keeping them alive, but vivisecting them so that they don't trigger the protocols. So there's no hope for these people. Yes, this is the, again, the backdrop. So my team, we've got Legion. David is going to be the sort of ambiguous leader of this team, though he's going to start to learn what it means to be a leader in his community rather than just kind of an aloof powerhouse. He's still trying to figure out his place in his father's life in the mutant community. And now in light of the charge that Magneto gave him, you know, to be a leader in his community right before he died, he's trying to find new ways to make the world better for the mutant community, but still struggles with his own sense of perceived brokenness and inadequacy. But he's close. He's so close to really hitting that breakthrough. Magneto's belief in him really helped push things forward in a positive direction. And now he's really, he's in discernment mode. We've got Iceman. Bobby is, the last few years have been a whirlwind between coming out to the world and coming up with the rest of the mutant community and geopolitical and, and social status. But some folks, like some folks who've lost their heads to celebrity, Bobby becomes a little tuned out to what the everyday on the ground mutant experience is like for people, uh, particularly non-passing mutants and non-Omega mutants out there. There's a little foot in his mouth, particularly with his cousin Jesse, who he doesn't really know very well, and he assumes a closeness with that he hasn't really earned and which she will find pretty irritating. At best irritating and at worst completely like oblivious and like somewhat offensive because he's kind of unreflective about where his privilege and his social status have brought him and how far it's removed him 
from the ground from this community essentially you've got jesse drake jesse drake who's had like three appearances in all of marvel who technically hasn't been linked with bobby drake but i decided that would be a fun one if they were cousins now the other thing is she's there to you know hang out with her cousin and attend this this hanukkah candlelighting ceremony but it's uh bobby's mom's side of the family the besses that actually uh celebrate hanukkah so she's already kind of feeling out of place coming to Krakow for the first time not really doing the mutant family thing but then also being invited to a ceremony she's not really sure what her what her part is in as well so she's she's having a tough time you know she's she isn't sold on the idea of family she knows who bobby is she knew him before krakoa and the fame and mutant resurrection she remembers him from like the annual drake family torture session gatherings as this quiet skinny unassuming accountant who she never really connected with she kind of became aware of the fact that he was living this charmed life in xavier's mansion safe with other mutants meanwhile she was kidnapped from her family abducted for a long time and then eventually when she finally found her way onto the cerebral radar x professor x dispensed someone to rescue her then she was just she was kidnapped again for years and years and years and so had to get herself out of captivity which i think is a really she she didn't have the benefit of mutant support to get herself free to get herself to a point where she she could take control of her life again and so she's very mistrusting of mutants in general and anyone who really tries to extend a hand of help thinking that oh well it could just go it could just go south again but at the same time she's lonely because it's really hard to make friends when you're a survivor of long-term abduction drama and a mutant and a trans woman and have no community of support so she's she got this invitation she's like fine i'll go meet my cousin begrudgingly and glob herman glob is seeking a sense of purpose on krakoa really connected with what jonas said about this idea of people in paradise needing a purpose um because it really it kind of echoed what i was going for with glob who is you know he's he's found you know for the first time in his life he's found peace in paradise but he's also someone who's been shaped by the adversity of his experience and while the temptation on Krakoa is to lean into the life of luxury he feels a compulsion to be out in the world doing good work for his fellow mutants it isn't easy being a mutant who stands out as a mutant means he's always going to have a target on his back when he's out in the world and even with the safety net of the resurrection protocols he feels like he feels like the ex-seniority is reluctant to put him into the fields where he could potentially experience more violence so in this new mutant nation he's not really found a place or an outlet for his talents and energies beyond feeding the chickens which he loves doing but it's not really what he wants to do so my vision for this team is essentially that they form a new mutant underground that because the gates aren't safe they need to find they need to create a new underground network that will allow for safe passage for mutants to Krakoa or Arako in this case it's going to be Arako because my idea is that David is going to divest a bunch of his power into the local astral plane and make it so that any telepath of a certain capacity can physically shunt someone into the astral plane and from there they'll be picked up by jesse and glob jesse is an empath as well as a shapeshifter so she can she and glob who can use his paraffin to protect people from the psychic woo-woos can help guide them to the shores of the altar where they can pop out onto arako safely without having to navigate the dangerous human world and you know it's not it's not a cakewalk the astral plane is dangerous and uncharted territory it has all of its own threats it has its own species and people and civilizations all of which we would run into along the way but it offers a an alternative to the same kind of you know human on mutant violence that people have been experiencing and if nothing else it's a way for something different to happen so that's my pitch Fenris kind of goes away after the initial start they're kind of they're a part of the genesis of the story curse curse comes back in my vision because I want curse to be the secret member of the legion who kind of like figures out that they don't have to be a shithead all the time they can still be an asshole but they don't have to 
be a shithead all the time in order to be effective is their powers in a way that doesn't hurt them. <laughs> that I one makes how- me especially happy because of Hanukkah. <laughs> Yeah. I love how everyone's <laughs> a family. Everybody's like, there's a family in this book. Mm-hmm. There's a family. The holidays. Everyone's thinking of the families. Yeah. And I also really love uh, the idea of David picking up off of Magneto more than Charles. Like, I love the idea that he finds a father figure, but in this case, it's it's really Magneto, not Charles. And, you know, the fact that through his mother, he is Jewish, and, you know, Magneto is also Jewish, so he's kind of continuing in the tradition in other ways besides just, like, having having this parental figure. There's also some unresolved baggage between David and Destiny that's that I really would want to see explored too cuz they there was when the Legion quest happened it was like Destiny from beyond the grave pushing that like he was having all these visions and nightmares of Destiny telling him to go back in time and kill Magneto to change the timeline. I really want to see some come up and some, I want I want to see him have the unreasonable well you were telling me what to do from the grave so how is that fair? And for her to be like well and just acknowledge it cuz I think that would be a, that would be a lovely mission. She's she's awful manipulative like that sometimes. Contestants, if you look in the private chat, you will see a link to a Google form where you can pick your first, second, and third place winners in three different categories. Please go ahead and get those filled out, and uh, then we will be back to discuss some some winners. Can't wait, y'all. Yay! So, like, I will be super excited for the next time we do this, if we do it with a draft round where people are like, ah... Ooh, you took my choice. I wanted the draft round, but like by the time that like we were ready to get this all in gear yeah. and get this thing moving, like I wanted like everybody's got their set draft order, and then like maybe halfway through we reverse the draft order so that mm-hmm. it's like fair or maybe oh. we do like a, a okay. I like this it's like where like the the last person in the first round is first person in the sec in the second round. We also could do like if there's six of us, one through six, then two through six plus one, then three through. Six. Six, oh, one, the two. drop round idea. I, yeah. Oh, okay. mm. going like one, two, three, four, five, six. Six has to pick again, and then you go back upwards. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. I also yep. love the idea of restricting pools, like mm-hmm. depending on the pool amount and how many mutants. It's like you get two three-point picks. You get yeah. maybe three two points, something like that. Where yeah. you're you're like a little more restricted. And you might have to think a little bit more of like, okay, if these people are in certain boxes, I might not be able to get both of them. And I got mm. to think of like, who do I want? But who do you think someone else might take that you're like, I'm more likely to get them. I'm using my plans hinge on that is a lot of strategy game that could go into this all the fun though TK was like whatever you do just don't argue with my ratings just whatever (laughs) you do and I was like oh okay no problem I I won't I know what it's like to lead the show you know everybody's got great input but like you sometimes just have to make a decision and be like that's what it is this time and so I click it and I'm like listen I have six problems And he was like, no. And then I was like, fine. Also, I felt I so bad. I was like, I was like, oh, wait, TK, how much is this one? How much is this one? Oh, no, I was the same. Don't worry. I, uh, I had like I, I three that weren't on the list. Oh, so you guys didn't like walk up to TK and be like, so can you explain the history of these five people real fast? <laughs> <laughs> or with Nico being like, so how 
friendly are these people? Do they talk? Do they I, not talk? I, one of my favorite questions ever was, and it's such a fair question. Tori asked a question that I can't believe there's no other answer to. She said, who are the current five? I thought they like, I, listen, I sort of listened to you guys is like, no, I sort of listened really to your question. coverage of this Krakoa thing. And I was like, oh, they're constantly changing out the people in charge. Yeah. So the five <laughs> must be like, who's in charge right now? Well, no. and like the O5 followed by the five. Like, you know, it's, there's a progression. It's a holy it. number in mutant religion. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, it yeah. is. And then like, when you need to really fuck some shit up, you've got the 12. And fuck shit up in any way. Not bad fuck shit up. Just like, fuck shit up. Like oh, the yeah. 12 issues of Hox Pox. Or what Apocalypse else? in the 12. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Or the 12 days of Christmas. Who are we surprised didn't make an appearance? Jean Grey. Our... Oh, Jean Grey. Okay. Okay. Laura right. Wolverine. Wolverine, Wolverine, Havoc, Maddie Pryor, Warlock, Cypher, Christian Frost. Okay, was Maddie Pryor on the list? Because I yeah, couldn't find her. Where was she? Was she um, on the list at the same value as Jean, though? No. She was not. I will tell you that. She is not what? the same value. I think on a so, I think that's incorrect on a technicality. I think that she would have to be right biologically. She's an Omega level mutant. It's I not don't. a powers thing. I already <laughs> said that. I'm actually kind of surprised nobody had any duplicate. I don't. Two nightcrawlers. Two nightcrawlers. Two nightcrawlers. We did have two nightcrawlers. Okay. I should take that back then. <laughs> But then Kurt being the only, were there any other duplicates? I don't think so. Destiny, like, a, like TK let me have a, a person who goes, you should, <laughs> you should make this happen. So that was Destiny, but she wasn't actually on my team. Okay. I mean, and like, yeah. I was like, you know, if I'm using, because I was talking to Nathan about it at one point, and I was like, you know, oh yeah, you know, it, it'd be really funny if we overlapped with some of the same stuff we were doing, because you know, there was a little bit of chatter, a little kind of and I almost used Pixie. <laughs> I was like, you could totally borrow her whenever you need, because I, I, I see my thing as a mini anyway. Yeah, I, I spent a lot of time being like, how do I talk to Nico without giving away what I'm up to? <laughs> now, but like Jake, you had Legion of X. Yeah. How did did you even imagine not using Legion? Well, I wasn't really sure. I mean, like, I I, I want to put David Holler in anything that I would do ever because I really like him a lot. I, I didn't know that if, like, I needed to have a reason for it to be the Legion going in. It was just kind of, it was a happy accident. And then I, I reread the brief and was like, oh, oh, I could have done it without him, except that I love him and I want to do it without him. But um, it wouldn't have made much sense otherwise. Oh, I'm so glad I didn't get Legion because I would have been like, hmm, how do I change this up? I'd have been like, Jamie Madrox. Because, uh -huh. <laughs> like, Legion of X could have Legion. Hell Hellions could have Hellions, young X-Men could have X-Man, and I guess X-Force could have X-Forcer. <laughs> Danny Moonstar, sorry. <laughs> Marvel Unlimited was telling me there is a character called X-Force when I was trying to find X-Force number 137. <laughs> so I'm just over here like, sure, that one exists. Sure, Teams, teams sometimes are like characters <laughs> on the... <laughs> And who could ever forget the classic uh, characters of Ernie and Excalibur? <laughs> I'm shocked they've never called it Excalibur. Uh, they, I mean, they did. They oh, did. Yeah. yeah. Actually, yeah, your pitch yeah. like has two. This, I mean, Kurt was in it in the Age of Apocalypse, and so was. I Raven worked hard for mistake, this. So. I was very well, upset. Actually, I couldn't fit in Gambit. Was, uh, too many points. That Ooh. was an inspiration. That was partly an inspiration for mine because Destiny was a big part of the Excalibur, that Excalibur book yeah. as well. Yes. I, I was, Mutant, mutant underground to haven travel story. So there may have been a little bit of cribbing from that exact plot. I'm still waiting for Doug to get his Age of Apocalypse powers in our universe. All right, folks. I'm ready to declare 
the first, second, and third placers in the first official X draft. I'll do more detailed results another time because I don't want to do all that adding right now. But broadly, who who won the the votes as a whole in first place? Excalibur, Tori. Yeah, it's gotta be. Yep, you absolutely killed it, and I think we were all just so impressed. <laughs> it's through it's on the backs of nico of tk of all of you guys who've been really like teaching me all of this stuff gotta throw it out to you guys always the best to listen to you I, osmosis at the point you have absorbed quite a lot it's true <laughs> i'm also extremely competitive i warned kevo <laughs> about that i warned kevo about this i was like you've you've hit on the academic and the competitive side of me good luck <laughs> pulling in trevor chase was just oh, kiss yay. i did warn him i warned him she a did and in second place we've got the hellions nathan oh my god i was more nervous than a long chair cat in a room full of rocking chairs (laughs) i think we just couldn't resist a tarot reference hell yeah yes my my incessant love of bringing day tripper into everything paid off it's finally paid off Nice. And in third place, we've got a Nico Action X Force. I I can't even believe that Beto paid the Academy to give me this award. <laughs> I... <laughs> oh, that's my whole speech. <laughs> no, I thought we'd need some violins. Oh, confetti! Oh my god! Oh my god! Like, Guys, I have to reset my browser. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> And then I have uh, superlative awards to give to each contestant. And I want to start off by awarding Nathan the best use of the budget. Like I said, that picking that tarot for one, I really think, I mean, clearly it paid off, you know, you knew what you were doing with the points that you, uh, you had to spend. It's tough. It's tough making those final calls for Tori. I award uh, best interpretation of the idea of a team. Uh, Sometimes it really just is your family. And sometimes that's what we want. And like I said, it clearly paid off. For Jonah, I think that's the coolest team. Those are the ones I want to hang out with. Those are the ones that I want to hear what they're talking about, what they're thinking about. I'm cool. I bet they have all that (laughs) hip Gen Z lingo. And it's just indecipherable. (laughs) (laughs) And for Jake, I have the most beautiful found family. A little bit different than Tori's. It's not that it's a family that's a team. It's a team that becomes a family. We all know that's what the X-Men are about. And when I look at that team, I just think I can really imagine them really growing to care for each other. That's what we're all hoping for, isn't it? And for Nico, I have Wildest Ride. I think those characters would just have the best time, and it would be very crazy. And like I said, very sexy. It's a sexy bunch. It, um, I love have the sexiest time. I was gonna say I love how you managed to like bring in a really ecstaticy kind of thing to X Force because I was like, uh, yeah. I tried. I, I really, I was because the problem was I had Dupe originally. Uh, because Dupe being one point was great because uh, you know, Tika had a great point. If you're gonna be an asshole and use Dupe for his reality warping powers you deserve him at a one because your book is a one so uh i was originally gonna have him film everything and also have chamber and i was like that's four points and then i was like ricochet and phantom x costs a little more but it's a little better 
Tetris tree. So I economized. I love that a mistake brought Ricochet in. That was like, <laughs> I, I kept being like, I just want him because he has the finest ass in comics. How can I get him here? Why would the masterminds want him? Okay. <laughs> They wouldn't. Uh, okay. <laughs> Why would Beto want him? He wouldn't. Okay. Um, it's not getting better, is it? So I was like, he was a mistake. And how plausible that the masterminds would make such a mistake. Oh, they <laughs> they're not that good at their jobs. No. No. If there were, if they were that good at their jobs, they wouldn't be making a fake sport league <laughs> to trick third-rate mutants. Didn't we have a president do that? <laughs> <laughs> Well, everyone, this has been so much fun. This really is how I dreamed it. I just wanted to hear everybody come up with some amazing concepts. And lo and behold, you guys delivered at a level I never would have expected. I think there are going to be many more of these in our future. I'm going to throw more monkey wrenches in each time. But I just, I'm so impressed with all of you. I had so much fun listening to your stories and your teams. And I hope that Marvel isn't listening because I hope you all get to write these for yourselves one day. But, you know, I think if they did steal these ideas, they would be brilliant to do so. I, I would buy all of them. <laughs> I love producer Kevo just popping in to say hey. Hey, producer well, Kevo. Hey, Sue. I wanted to pop in because uh, there was no superlative given to the person who created this game for all of us and helped <gasps> bring it all together. So, uh, TK, thank you for all of your hard work. And um, thanks to our team, as always, for coming together and uh, making it work. And you of know, course, thank love... you to you, Kevo. None of this happens without you. It's you are who? Me? What? No. Get out of here. I don't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> On a, you know, like house cleaning note, real quick. Uh, I just want to thank everybody for another incredible year of this wild show. We are uh, the the craziest people to make the show as much as we do, and our transition to live videos has been so exciting. It's been so good. Uh, it's I'm having such an amazing time, and we've got some cool projects coming up for the rest of the year. We have uh, some cool stuff coming up next next year and it the team's only grown and it gets sad because each year that we add more people occasionally you know some people wind up hopping off the show and so we've had a number of you know kind of pour one out for your homie departures over the course of the last few months real big bummer but it's been such an exciting year because of all of the new faces we've brought on it's hard to believe that it was a year ago that TK joined less than a year ago that Jake joined it's been wild to think that uh, this show has been going this long and we're at like 419 episodes and uh, and yet oh, so many years like still so many years to go man and i couldn't be prouder of uh what we've done and where we're going and what we're doing and i want to thank everybody for making time this uh wintry thursday night celebrating the holidays and i do want to just throw out there make sure you like and subscribe because we're putting up better than two three videos a week and you don't want to miss out on those you want to check out xsforpodcast.com where you can get all of the information you need follow along with this show and uh you know i hope this isn't putting everybody too on the spot but whether it's something you're grateful for this year or a favorite comic i would love to get like a, a little sign-off bump from everybody oh, I, I just gotta say i'm thankful for all the time i'm spending with remy <laughs> wins. i love the commitment to this wins <laughs> no matter who wins we lose but win <laughs> Uh, I'd like to thank Alligator Loki for coming into my life and uh, <laughs> never, hopefully, ever leaving it. Ever. I'd like to say thank you to next year because I will be getting more Infinity Comics after Land Shark. Yes. Yeah, yes. Yeah. 
I want to say thank you to this community because it's always so wonderful getting to be with everyone and get to talk comics, which is one of the greatest things in the world, getting to talk mutants, which are the greatest people in the world, and with y'all who are just some of the sweetest, you know, most wonderful, kind, wonderful, I've said that several times, people to talk about this stuff with. Like, it's really awesome getting to have a community to connect with and converse with and like talk, connect, connect our shared love of these things together in a big way and yeah I'm really grateful for that so thank you for for showing up and putting in the time and this is a slight twist on a like sediment that's already been shared but I really am so grateful for Nico and Kevo who really work so incredibly hard on this show on everything that we do on creating an amazing community that we get to be a part of and you know they're just so incredibly brilliant and talented they're such a dynamic duo I adore them and I'm just so happy that I know them both because I get to do fun things like this. Yeah. We're the best. Yeah. And I just want to say I'm really grateful for Uncrustables. <laughs> you're going to go get one as soon as we sign off, aren't you? We're Probably. out. <laughs> oh, no, you're out. Oh, no, you're out. Aren't and that's our Christmas out. adventure yeah, begun. Ah, oh, we can always run to the store. I was gonna say, get an Instacart in here. You got this. We might have to. I. I... Oh no. <laughs> well, <laughs> wow. Does Kevo? Does Kevo get to go now, guys? Everyone yes. else went. Does yes. Kevo get yes. to go? Okay. <laughs> okay. You know, I want to build off of what uh, everyone else is really saying. Uh, I'm grateful for our little team, for our little family, our little community. I'm really grateful for what a gay year this has been. The Doctor's companion was openly in love with and the doctor openly was like i'd love you too but it's not gonna work out because it never works out but it was gay it was openly gay disney had so many openly queer things this year it's insane from decoms to their shows to strange worlds all these things like it's just it's been such a gay year and it's just gonna keep getting gayer and i love that and i'm so so happy for me for that um and for all of you too i guess you know Community. <laughs> Happy holidays, everybody. Happy, Happy holidays. And gay Kevo for podcast. And a merry new queer. <laughs> Boom. And a merry new queer. <laughs> this is why you guys don't let me talk, isn't it? <laughs> this is why we should let you talk more. I'd let you talk all day, every day. Let's be real. Sorry, um, for those of you who don't know, they play the intro. plays a lovely intro for us as well, and we were unaware that it was so amazing, amazing and wonderful. <laughs> I was not prepared. <laughs> oh my god! And now we're we're in cute little wreaths. This is this is full force. Wow. Okay. Uh, I hope I'm still Nico. Uh, you can find me at Nico Action N I C O A C T I O N. I'm Tori. You can find me on Instagram at SM Tori and on Twitter at Tori underscore Sheehan. And we are the ho ho host today for a new man in red. Yeah, this is the Billy Club, Marvel's one and only Daredevils podcast. I'm just so thrown by the holiday stuff. It was so great. I loved it so much. Oh, that was so terrific. So, okay. You know, this is the Billy Club. Your one stop live podcast for all of the adventures of
of Marvel's Crimson Crusader and uh, evidently his holiday adventures. Yeah, this is actually one of my favorites. I covered this for X's for Podcast a year ago, something like that. Yeah. But I love so much about what this is because it's not your classic Christmas tale. Kevo and I once had a long discussion about how there are like four basic themes for Christmas episodes of television shows. And I think when you get into Christmas episodes, Christmas issues for comics, it can kind of be the same thing. There's the idea of like the gift of the Magi and there's the idea of and then a Christmas miracle or like a Scroogeifying or the Grinch or things like that. And this is um not that. No. No. And I really absolutely love it because I'm doing like you mentioned, Excess for Podcast. We do a holiday special every year and this year we're kind of doing a best of because like Tori said, we've done so many holiday episodes over the years. This year we're doing a best of. I'm very excited about it, but I'm recording something new for it where I'm looking at every special issue ever called the Punisher Holiday Something. Oh. He's had one shots in the bigger Mar- Marvel Holiday Tales, but specifically the Punisher had three one shots, Punisher Holiday Special one through three, and then he's had four Punisher Holiday one shots over the last 20 years. And I'm, I'm just so fascinated why Marvel thought this was such a good idea. And yeah, who what, is he? The doctor? Well, that's the thing. They all fall into one of two categories, mm-hmm. really. Because like you said, there's a couple of categories for Christmas. There's Punisher stories where some of the decorations are Christmas. Like, oh, he's claiming that the bad weather is because it's snowing because it's right around Christmas, but it could also just be a hurricane in Miami and it wouldn't change the story. Right. And so there's a lot of like, you just kind of slot in the holidays. Yeah. Little Die Hard. Little Iron Man 3. And then the other story is you put the Punisher in a Santa suit. That's it. That's the only change. It's just Punisher in a Santa suit. And I went into this issue having just done all of this rereading for holiday stuff and actually re-editing all of the classic X segments so that they'd be cleaner and tighter. And I went into this being like, oh, great. I'm in for another holiday story that's not holiday at all. And you know what? It's actually kind of not that holidaysy, but what it has is Winter's Tale. Yes. It's got so much Winter's Tale about it. And like a good Winter's Tale has fear of cold, has isolation via the elements has the idea of heat saves us Mm -hmm. the idea that if we stick together we can survive Mm -hmm. this is a winter's tale and i love it yeah yeah and you you know you don't need your daughter trying to become her mother who's a statue you don't need that and that's the thing about this story that also makes it so interesting is that daredevil number seven from the mark wade run now this is from volume three yeah we didn't introduce us for five minutes in (laughs) Oh no, but this is such a great issue. It's it speaks for itself and we'll oh, have yeah. a really we'll have a really clear uh thumbnail. And so <laughs> we have Daredevil number seven by the incredible team of Mark Wade and Paulo Rivera, just one of the best ever penciler and ink uh penciler and artist whoa, writer and penciler teams to ever be on Daredevil. Of course, Joe Rivera, his father doing inks. It's such an amazing team up to have those two together. Javier Rodriguez does beautiful colors and would of course go on to be one of the most breathtaking artists at Marvel doing full art on several titles that we cover regularly over on X for Podcast. Uh, Joe Caramagna with his brilliant letters 
courtesy of virtual calligraphy. So terrific. This issue came out in 2011 and it is to this day one of those like the Badlands level of perfect one and dones for Daredevil. It's so gorgeous and it starts with that cover. The black and the white, the snow, the simple snow angel little red guy down there. Like we complain a lot in the early issues about how Daredevil is so small in comparison to other things on his cover. But yeah. in this, it's so perfect. There's just Magic. a little smiley dude down there and he's having a good time and gets the big bad world and I love it. I love everything about it. And I think the thing that makes the story so important to me is that I really love that he's not fighting a bad guy here. There's no enemy. It's not Bullseye gained the power of perfect accuracy at Christmas. Mm -hmm. It is Daredevil against an opponent, which is Winter and Fear. Like, the bad guy here is kind of Fear itself because he's trying to hold it together for these children. Now, the setup for this issue is Matt Murdock is doing his annual volunteer work, taking children away for a weekend in the winter, just some children that face problems in their life. And he's just doing what he can to make And are also blind. Yes. And the main thing about this story that becomes so powerful is it's not that Daredevil is fighting anyone to save the city. The stakes here are several individual children. And more than anything, it's not that Matt can't just save these kids on his own as Daredevil without really, you know, having a problem. It's that Matt is in a position where the psychological scarring these children could incur is an equal threat. He's not just trying to save their lives. He's trying to save their their sense of mental safety when these are kids that are already in a position of uncertainty in their regular lives. Yeah, for sure. And I think also there there's also a little bit of self-preservation concerns for Matt. I think this is we have a lot of conversations about how Matt gets very knocked down before he gets back up. But this is one of those where as the pages keep going and as it keeps not turning around you really start to feel Matt being like, maybe this is it. Maybe this is how I go out. Maybe the kids will be able to save themselves, but maybe this is how I go down. And it's hard to feel that in your usual man without fear, like that he's just so beaten down from the issues that come before this, where he's been trying to keep himself upright. He's been trying to keep himself light and fluffy and happy and not the old Matt, but it's it's under there. And when everything is just the cold and the dark and the fear it'll all come back out and that's very very interesting to read when you're when you're when you think that you're going to open up an issue that's just like fluffy happy christmas times or at least you'll have like a bad guy you can fight like there's Mm -hmm. so much about this issue that's so disarming and one of the things that's so perfect about it is the quality of mark wade's page economy mark Mm -hmm. wade and paulo rivera really use every panel to its most efficacious this sense of cutting between stories and media res storytelling can be really tricky we start on the bus then we backtrack and he's talking to foggy and he's dealing with the fallout from last issue then we're back on the bus then it's you know it's so much back and forth but it's all of the places where mark wade is able to cleverly show without overdoing it it's the effectiveness of showing the limp it's the effectiveness of having the kids dragging daredevil there are so many key elements that are a storyteller trusting his team you know that I feel like Mark Wade said here's a couple of the biggest emotional moments I would love to be the one to do them but there aren't words 
else mm-hmm. show it. And like this issue with, you know, Kevo, this amazing blocking you've done where we can see the creative team the whole time is just so beautiful because I really feel this creative team deserves that sort of credit for what is easily one of the most beautiful issues I've ever seen. It it really shows how each of them shine and bring such wonder and such amazing work into this issue. It's really, it's firing on all cylinders. Nobody is, is phoning it in. This is a great, great issue that really sticks in your mind and, and, yeah. and stays with you. You know, it's been over 10 years and we're still like, no, no, no. Which Christmas this one Christmas. are we doing? We're yeah. doing this one. We're doing this one. <laughs> <laughs> Same. Same for me a thousand percent. And like, I think this gave us one of the most famous Daredevil memes of all time. Oh, yes. (laughs) I'm not Daredevil. I'm not Daredevil is like one of the most famous Daredevil memes of all time. Like, how is this not on every piece of merch that they have? Like, (laughs) a thousand percent. Like, because when I think about Daredevil and I think about the the fact that his, you know, my identity, Foggy, do you know who I am? Like, (laughs) that I think about that this is his narrative for the better part of his career, that we've talked about it so many times that, you know, in the stories now, they're kind of doing something similar where they're trying to defeat his identity yet Mm -hmm. again. Even in an amazing run like the Zadarsky, one of the things that really stands out is you either make fun of it or you lose the point. Yeah. And they're making fun of it in a way that's so sweet. Like, I'm not Daredevil is a highlight of this character for me. Oh, 100%. And it's, I think it's also the fact that so much of where we are in the 60s right now is keep is people like looking at Matt going, oh, he's not Daredevil. And now we're at the point where he's like, I'm not Daredevil. Daredevil and everyone's like, but you are. But you are, Blanche. You are. You are, but wink, wink, okay, I guess you're not. Like, everyone's sort of laying into it, except for, you know, the Daily Bugle, whatever. But, like, they're they're all just like, yeah, that's Matt, he's Daredevil, but, you know, to keep him on the the happy place, we're all just gonna be like, yeah, no, you're not Daredevil. (laughs) Oh, no, which should I grab? The red or the white? Oh, you knew I wanted the red. (laughs) Yeah, it's one of those when, you know, eventually Neil Patrick Harris was like, oh, but so I mean, I'm going to shock the world and tell everyone I'm gay, but I was never in the closet. It's one of those things every now and then when Matt's like, I'm Daredevil. Everybody's like, sure, buddy. We we were going to let you tell us. And other times he's like, hey, guys, I'm not Daredevil. And they're like, all right, that's what we're doing right now. Okay. But you are playing Mark and Rent, but yeah. you're not Daredevil. Got yeah. it. Got yeah, it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, you're covered in glitter and feathers and mom's heels. And okay. Okay, sweetheart. Whatever you I, need. No one can convince me that Jaden Smith is still a heterosexual with that Insta post <laughs> with the poppers on the table. So anyway, back to Daredevil and uh, more holiday than poppers. I think the joke becomes how well the people in Daredevil's life have fun with this. Kirsten being like, oh, so you're not that. Like... She's so sharp and like, it's difficult because like Daredevil is a character who has some unbelievable, breathtaking, unforgettable love interests. And so many of his love interests become so great, they no longer fit in his book. Karen has time in Ghost Rider. Black Widow is so much more than Daredevil's love interest. Elektra is so much more than Daredevil's love interest. But then you've got Heather Glenn. 
Heather, 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 <clears throat> Heather. So getting Kirsten, who is like queen motherfucker, like in a world of vitamin water, she's a full sugar Gatorade. And yeah. I really love her in this title. So getting to see her be part of this Christmas issue, this like spectacular moment in our memories, it does that thing where it permanently sneaks her into that moment. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like there's that thing we have where we can kind of forget that somebody's not in as much as we think they are because they're in the right things. Yes. This is that for her. Mm -hmm. I agree. I agree very much. And I love... I mean, I always talk about how I love happy Matt and like carefree Matt and, you know, this party in comparison to the stark winter horror that comes like this is this is the best map that I could possibly ask for and it's just such a joy to see him and to see someone who like gets him and plays along with him is just so wonderful for us to have as these tension breakers to allow time to slip forward in the snow I think it's it's a wonderful wonderful use of of plotting and speaking of people that get things and a wonderful use of stuff like there's two lines of dialogue in this issue that I think are perfectly terrible because they're right even Mm. if they're not words I would have written when I see them for Matt I'm like no that's correct Mm -hmm. the fart jokes in the beginning of the issue should be stupid but that they play almost a a beat role Mm -hmm. makes them a lot better Mm -hmm. and when Matt spells hate I H-A-T-E snow Mm -hmm. first of all it works for me because he said (laughs) I H (laughs) so it's spelling it's cute and playful so i I sort of feel like it's easy to forget that people who we put in these stratospheric jobs Mm -hmm. right like it's one of the reasons that i'm so glad i grew up in the era i did just like silly but like that you know president bill clinton played saxophone and that barack obama had a march madness bracket Mm -hmm. those are things that humanize people in positions who do not otherwise seem human at times Yeah. And the mundanity of who Matt Murdock is sometimes. Thank you for reminding me, Mark Wade, because I don't always remember it. And it's an important lesson. Oh, yeah. 100%. If Matt Murdock is around kids, he's saying H-E double hockey sticks. Like, that's who he is, like, as a human. And I just, I think it's something that we we see a little bit more of in the 80s because of those little uh, skateboard kids. But, I mean, Matt's not really around children very much, you know? So we don't get to see this dynamic. We don't. I mean, good. Yeah, seriously. But we don't get to see him have, you know, a spunky sidekick who's 16 that he's trying to like semi-adopt and take under his daring wing. Like, yeah. we don't see that side of him. We don't see the nurturing or the or the mentoring as much. You know, whenever he's paired up with someone, it's usually a partner of equals or at the most board like it's Spider-Man who is his own thing and perfectly capable of taking care of himself. It's more like a, a bros who care kind of situation. And And so to see this here, to get to watch him try to care for these kids in an extreme circumstance is also very much in that spirit of community and Christmas that we all kind of want to gather around and keep each other close in the dark kind of thing. That's, yeah, really, really, you know, and it's one of the reasons it's important that Foggy never became the fog or Karen never became the page or, you know, I don't know, Heather Glenn never transformed into an actual Heather Glenn. No, no, no. He'd be the half Nelson. And he'd be a buff wrestler. I love it. (laughs) 
and Karen Page can be the other half of the Nelson, and together they can be the full Nelson. She's the and... page turner, and it's a spell book or something. Oh, this is she's, hot. I want this. She's the book. new spellbinder. <laughs> Erica and Karen would have some amazing conversations. Chemistry. We see the X Factor, the X Factor, the X's for podcast coverage of Spellbound by X Factor's Wheezy Simonson. It is to never be forgotten. Unhinged. Unhinged is the word. Unhinged. But back to books that are pretty hinged. The magic of this book that always reminds me that Matt is a human is when, you know, he snaps at the kiss. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so hard because as a teacher, for the years I taught in classrooms, I would literally like channel my energy into whatever I had to, to never lose my cool on students. The worst thing I felt I could do was make a student feel like the classroom wasn't their safe space. Mm. And that's with the benefit of walls, desks. I was always lucky enough to teach in school districts that had the sort of financial means to provide for the students in adequate ways. And there's so many school districts, especially, you know, around the holidays, I can't help but think of that as someone who continues to work in education, but is no longer a teacher. The schools that don't have adequate heat, that don't have proper insulation. So these kids are struggling at the holidays. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. I don't even face that kind of stuff. I have a cushy job and I still think the most important thing is making these students feel safe. Matt is literally out in the wilderness, full on Bear Gryllis man versus wild Mm -hmm. kind of like out there. And there's these kids and they're frightened and they're honestly disabled. And Matt is doing everything he can to manage all of this, but he's in pain. Mm -hmm. He's ailing. He's limping. And yeah, he's going to snap on these kids at some point. And then he does what he can like a dad to fix it. Mm -hmm. It's so important to see. Yeah. Oh, now I'm thinking about dad daredevil. Oh, my ovaries. <laughs> right like I, and i'll be honest i a little bit kind of think he'd make a great mom but like you know i uh i've read that my my, my man ovaries um so <laughs> he is just such a dynamic character that we see those flaws and it's that perfect moment where he hears the car and he can't really talk about how he heard the car you know what i mean mm-hmm. and these kids eventually you know they get him up and they drag him as kevo has not you know the drag like drag kind of drag but like not like reading drag but like they're literally pulling him uh, on the screen and one of them must have touched the horn. I refuse to believe that none of these kids realized he was wearing like a leathery costume. I mean, in fairness, why was he wearing the I guess, well, I guess it's his only hat. And it's it's, it's insulated. Yeah. And like, it'll keep his head warm and he needs anything he can do to have his wits about him as best he can. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I mean, maybe they just think he's super into cosplay. Mr. Murdoch just really loves Daredevil a lot. And And so he's got a little winter Daredevil hat. Especially with all of those daredevil rumors he just really wanted to uh to uh really confuse people it's the only red suit he owns how can he play santa without it how can he play <laughs> without it and then uh, much like santa when he gets into these people's houses his first thought is to thank them and reward them for allowing him to break into their home <laughs> That his first thought is like, I call the police. I'm going to leave these people money. I'm going to explain what happened. This is a guy for whom he will do whatever it takes to make things right in every direction. And that's part of the pain of being Matt Murdock. He can't take from someone like that, even if it's to save kids' lives. Mm -hmm. It's really such a code of ethics he is bound by to the point, yeah, exactly. As Kevo has up, I'll Mm -hmm. pay for the window and the food we devour. Devour. What a great word Mm -hmm. for Mark Wade to put in that script. Ellie Pyle 
you know, was such a visionary editor for Daredevil. She really trusted this creative team and knew how to pull and push. This is just one of the best issues of this series ever. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, and it's also one of those things where I I don't know if it actually, like if we're thinking about it as we're reading, but the fact that we're kind of aware that the bus driver didn't make it is enough of a someone, someone has already paid the price for this story that we're sort of pretty sure that like none of the kids are gonna die like that if matt or if somebody succumbs they're gonna wake up in a hospital in the morning yeah exactly we don't think that this is gonna end with like matt in the snow cuddling a frozen child that's not gonna make it like we don't have that hanging over us as much we still have the everyone might not like walk out of here but we're not as concerned about extreme mortality and yeah that's a really great point they even have the kids be like why did the bus driver leave us and matt is like this is tough (laughs) don't want to tell them about death okay (laughs) and you're right you know i kept thinking they're not going to kill a kid after killing the bus driver that was already them facing mortality Mm -hmm. but your perspective of they might not all walk out of here there could have been a moment where matt doesn't forgive himself because this kid loses a foot to frostbite Mm -hmm. and he spends the rest of his life making sure to pay their medical bills yep that's very mad Mm -hmm. and the main complaint i have about this issue i guess is there's so little foggy for how much this is a very foggy heavy run and he needed a break it, it was too he was getting too much it was he just he needed a break the actor yeah, he needed, needed a, a little, nap yeah yeah he uh, he was just like guys i can't make it to these panels i'm sorry it's, <laughs> i'm having like debbie flashbacks i gotta go <laughs> Who is my emergency contact for this chemo? Oh my God. What a, oh man, I can't wait to get into this run. Just another Mm -hmm. 400 issues to go. We got it. And the major conclusive point of this issue isn't really the stuff that follows because there's that short arc that comes after this, which is lovely, but... The main thing about this issue is that it's reminding us that the concerns of Daredevil are not just supervillains. Daredevil has always been a book bound by some scope of reality. Not exactly the scope of reality that, like, real people use, Mm -hmm. but a scope of reality that is defining of his experience as a superhero. When we think about Daredevil, we think about overcoming challenges and overcoming odds. And that's what this story really is. Truly. I think one of the things that we talk about in Daredevil that we haven't gotten to yet in the 60s is the idea that it is always a double act. There is a very big difference between a Daredevil story and a Matt Murdock story. And for all that he is in the suit this time he this is a matt murdoch story there is no point where the kids are like daredevil's here like there's no point where he gets to like something comes out of the snow and he has to punch 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 his way out of it like that doesn't happen this is a matt murdoch story through and through and for me it's as someone who sometimes struggles with the superhero genre because in these issues it can be very monster of the week there's not enough plot development there's not enough character development to keep me hanging on an issue like this can really hold me over
over for several issues afterwards of big action sequences because yes. it does so much to hold me over on the interpersonal play, on the internal conflicts, on the emotions and the remembrances and the echoes. It's it's all it, for the for me. This is this is a huge issue that I would I would treasure deeply in a run. And it's such a special issue because it's in a legendary run is part of the thing. Mm -hmm. And it manages to stand out. When you talk about standouts among a standout, that's so tough. You know what I mean? It's it's just so why we make this show mm -hmm. is this idea of Daredevil's strength overcoming. And I don't think I've ever realized this before, but I kind of think Daredevil is a summer and winter book. And I'm like an autumn and spring guy. I'm also a very winter guy, but like I'm probably autumn, winter more than I'm anything. I love summer, but the things about autumn, like the season of autumn is where my heart is. The season of winter is where my heart is. It gets a little cold, but you know, it's it's kind of a balance. And Daredevil exists best in the coldest days of the mm -hmm. darkest winter and the hottest, most acrid days of a New York City summer. Yep. But yep. I don't know, fall is kind of Matt Murdock's time. Yes. Fall is definitely a Matt Murdock season. It's very much about about putting the the heat and the the weight of of the summer behind you and yeah. kind of taking a breath, cooling down a little while also recognizing that it's going to be a very long time until you see the sun again. And I think that that is very Matt Murdock. I think the time of renewal and warming days is that might be Matt Murdock cuffing season, but it's not really so much Matt Murdock. That's when you start to you might start to feel like a spring issue is when he's courting someone or okay. or like have like it's a foggy Nelson centric kind of episode like Matt doesn't really resonate as much with renewal I think I think his renewal is so revolutionary that it's not as evolutionary as we see spring be at least here in the temperate zones of the New York City metro area so, okay, that's probably what makes this issue stand out a little bit because mm -hmm. it's a Matt Murdock in winter story. Yes. Whereas Matt Murdock is usually fall. Mm -hmm. And I was just realizing I associate fall and spring stories with Matt falling in love with Electra at mm -hmm. school. Mm -hmm. So maybe Electra is fall and spring mm -hmm. in the balance mm -hmm. to Daredevil's summer and winter, which mm -hmm. then of course makes sense because the overlap of their identities is Matt and Electra, not mm -hmm. Electra and Daredevil. Yes. Mm. Okay, you know, yeah. pretty, good, right. pretty good thesis. Yeah, I think we can uh, send that off to the professor and uh, start getting some research materials together and really uh, yeah. ML MLA this motherfucker. You know, we started the show officially seven months ago. Mm -hmm. We put up our first Amazing the Origin of Daredevil episode. And, you know, we didn't think we were going to do the, the like live TV stuff and uh, the special we did for the cartoon that he's going to be in. And, <laughs> Yeah, there were some million things we didn't think we were going to do when we started the show. I, here we are at the end of our first year, and it's it's been really exciting. We've done like the 25, 26 episodes. Yeah. And we're moving maybe faster and slower than I thought we would. Maybe <laughs> with a little bit more awesome input from Kevo than I could have ever dreamt up. Oh my gosh. Know? Oh right. my gosh. Makes the show look so much cleaner. So much Truly look the background. gift. He's the gift. He is the tree. He is the reason for the season. He is, right? And 
so, you know, I'm just really grateful that we're doing this. I love this project and it's just getting cooler. And uh, I just want to say thanks for an amazing year of Daredevil. Oh, I want to say thank you too. Thank you for originally dragging me into this like seven-ish years ago now. And yeah. like saying like, no, 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 you can you can read the the uh, comics, but first start with the Mark Wade issue and then we'll get into the 60s. And I just really appreciate you. I really appreciate Kevo. And I appreciate everyone who's tuning in and watching this yeah. and, you know, making us feel like we should keep going and, and keep introducing you guys to some really excellent, interesting Daredevil content that sometimes makes us want to bang our head against a wall, but generally makes us want to swing through the buildings. Makes us want to take out our billy club and just go Christmas a carolin. I think you can get arrested for that. I think you can too. I think that's why <laughs> they don't want you caroling in trench coats anymore. <laughs> That's got to be a de Blasio ordinance. Sorry, Christmas present. I know what's hiding under your robes. Well, before this goes from Christmas presents to Christmas predators, Corey... Where can everybody find you online? You can find me on Instagram at smtory and on Twitter at Tori underscore Sheehan. And of course, you can find this whole podcast over at at the Billy Club pod all over your socials. Nico, where can they find you? You guys can find me thoroughly ensconced in every video on this amazing network produced by our amazing producer and editor, Kevo, who does all of this fine work on the show. Kevo, if you want to wave hi real quick. Happy holidays. Right. He did it. And I so did do it. I just want to say a great big thank you to everybody. You can find the show, like Tori said, at the Billy Club Pod. You can find me at Nico Action. That's N I C O A C T I O N everywhere as part of X's for Podcast and more. I also, personal note, thank you so much to all of the end of year lists, nominations, and blogs, vlogs, podcasts that are singing the praises of young men in love for end of year stuff. It's unfucking real. I'm so freaked out. I'm so happy. I'm so grateful. And a uh, huge shout out to everyone who made that possible thank you and until next time guys there's only one thing to do stay, stay fearless. fearless we got it we got it we got a triple play yeah all right and to all 